For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm David Browie. Joining me today is Victor Shaw, whose father was a victim of a scam, but had a happy ending to the story. Victor's going to tell us all about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Victor. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us about yourself. You work in Hobart in Australia. You have a church that you're involved with? Yes, I'm the minister of an Anglican church in Battery Point in Hobart. It's a lovely part of the world. I've been here for about 11 years. Married, have four kids. My father lives in Sydney, so I try to get up to see him a few times a year. We talk pretty regularly. Yeah. So I would imagine that in your conversations with the people that are in your ministry, that you probably hear a lot about scams and a lot of things that go on. Do they come to you? Do you hear stories about people falling victim to scams online? Yeah, absolutely. So church, you know, we've got all ages, but there's a reasonable number of older folk. And yeah, so often, you know, you have a conversation and it's normally the older folk who got an email or they've had some issue with their credit card, they've had a phone call, whatever it is. And so just try and support them as much as you can. It is very often older folk who are the people who find themselves victims of scams. That's definitely a trend that we've seen, unfortunately, uh, all over the world. I can imagine it would have been quite a shock when it hit home for you and you found yourself dealing with something that was pretty shocking, I think, to happen. Tell us a bit about what actually happened. Yeah, sure. So my mom died in 2020 during COVID, and so dad's living alone. And he'd been a missionary and traveled all over the world, has friends, colleagues in lots of different countries around the world always kind of prided himself on his tech capability. You know, he's on this computer, on social media, all that sort of thing. And I'd noticed over the past few years, just his, I guess, critical judgment sort of declining a little bit in terms of some of his interactions online. And we had a couple of little kind of, I guess, wobbles or little scams that the bank had kind of picked up. But earlier last year, I just had the sense that, you know, things weren't going so well with him. And some years before I'd done all that legal work, I'd got a lawyer, my parents had kind of come down and we'd done their will, we'd set up a power of attorney, enduring power of a guardianship to be activated when they needed it. So it was late, late March when I got a phone call from a friend who was having a meal with my dad. And she said that he was on the phone to a person who was scamming him and trying to tell him to get off. And he kind of did, but he kept answering this phone and kind of almost three or four calls from scammers while she was in the room with him. And so I was sort of going, okay, dad. We'd had a few other things where I'd realized, you know, dad's cognitive capacity was declining and he'd been to see a geriatrician. We were sort of in those early diagnosis stage of dementia. And so I thought, okay, I need to go up to Sydney to see my dad. I need to activate power of attorney so I can help him manage his finances to protect him, that sort of thing. So I went up a couple of weeks later, went to the bank with him and you know, we'd sort of been talking about this and he'd been saying a little bit about some scam stuff. But when I went to the bank, we were seeing the woman at the bank and she said, to him, have you told your son like what's been happening? And yeah, it was at that point that I discovered that actually all his bank accounts actually been cleaned out. The scammers had been working on him for quite some time. And so we just kind of went home and I was in shock. I was very upset. I was very angry. 
difficult in terms of being angry with him for kind of like, how have you let this happen to you? But then also recognizing actually his critical judgment, his cognitive capacities declining with his dementia. So it really sort of felt like an undirected anger. You just wanted to have someone in the room to shake them. And it was a really very upsetting weekend for me. I can imagine. And so sorry. I mean, it's the shock of not only what was going on with the scammers, but then also the implications and the broader implications of that would have been very confronting for you, definitely. So the bank was apparently aware of this. So, I mean, how long had this been going on? What was going on? The calls clearly had been coming. Yeah. So dad had been taking lots of notes from his conversation. So I said, dad, can we just have a look at this stuff? What records have you got? You know, so I got printouts from the bank of his financial statements. So seeing where the money had been withdrawn and also his documents and then trying to go on his phone, look at his social media, his Facebook account, WhatsApp as well. A lot of stuff was coming through WhatsApp, trying to have a look at his email addresses and just sort of to try and piece together the narrative of what happened. So I still don't think I'm entirely across that, but he was getting scammed in multiple different ways. So there was a low level kind of scam from Thailand via WhatsApp, and he would be getting phone calls and messages where they basically got him to go to the supermarket to buy some like Apple phone cards or something like that, and then give them the barcode numbers on the back. So that was like in the thousands of dollars, like the low thousands, that's not too much. But then the major scam was people getting access to his phone via remote access software, particularly using a software called AnyDesk, and just making these withdrawals or transfers for tens of thousands of dollars and over a period of time. And then looking at through his social media, he'd been interacting with some fake accounts on Facebook. Some were reasonably attractive older women, I guess kind of catfishing in that sense. But then there were other ones which looks like colleagues or friends or people who were saying, hey, we've discovered these amazing grants for retirees of like $100,000. And, you know, you should check it out. And one of them, I know one of his colleagues from the States had died. And there was a Facebook account with his colleague's face, name, all that sort of stuff but getting messages after he died. Was your dad aware that he had died previously? Yes, my dad knew. And I said, dad, do you know that like you've been getting messages from, and he said, oh yeah, it's my friend. And I said, dad, do you remember he died last year? And so just kind of seeing that his kind of capacity to process was really compromised. And he was also then getting phone calls at all hours of the day and night. He was getting phone calls like 12, 1 a.m., in the morning from the UK about this and trying to get him to install the software on his phone or on his computer. And so I just had this sense that it was kind of quite relentless. There was a lot of phone calls and multiple scams. And all of this was really starting to confuse him where he was already declining, but this is just a mess. There's the old school kind of scams of like emails, right? So he was getting all of those as well. And they're the things of like, you know, hey, there's some distant relative who's died and like the lawyers say that there's some inheritance money for you or something like that. <laughs> and for my dad, you know, all these contacts from overseas, because he just knows so many people around the world. I'd say to him, dad, you know, these people are not your friends. You don't know them. He's like, oh no, I do know these people overseas. 
And then because he'd been having actual phone calls with the scammers, there was almost a relationship. Like, and he had their phone numbers in his phone. And so when he'd saved it in his phone, and so when they'd call him, he'd think, I actually know this person. You know, I just felt the tentacles were kind of everywhere. I mean, it was kind of terrifying, actually. I know your dad, Alex, you said that he had a lot of contacts, connections overseas. Was this from his previous work? So he was a missionary. He had worked in lots of different countries with colleagues from many different nationalities. And so, you know, for a lot of us, you know, if you're in Australia, you get a weird call from Philippines. You just go, it's a scam. But my dad would be like, oh, maybe it's somebody I know. And not completely without reason as well. That's right. Like, actually, he does know people there. He does have friends in Nigeria or Ghana or something like that. He doesn't know any Nigerian princes, but, you know, that's a bit old hat, that one. Sure. But that definitely makes him a potential target in ways that a lot of people would not be. Yes. More vulnerable in that sense, yeah. Very much so. So then you've come in and looked at this and said, well, wait a minute. Now, you mentioned that he was taking a lot of notes through this. Was that a habit of his before this, or did he feel that he needed to do that to sort of keep track of what was going on? So I think it was both a habit, but also I think he knew that things were going on and he was trying to fix it himself. He had notes where he was like, this person with their name and where they were from, that they were not okay and he shouldn't answer phone calls from there. And then he'd have notes later where he was answering, saying it's from this person. And he'd been to the bank multiple times. So the scam like the big one where they started withdrawing tens of thousands of dollars started in mid-March and there was like one withdrawal, I think. And then at the end of March, they made like a couple. And I think they were kind of testing, if you like. And the bank, he's with ANZ Bank. They had, I guess, some AI software that kind of flags suspicious transactions. And so they locked his account and they got in touch with him to say, hey, this is happening. But then in dad's notes, he was being coached by the scammers. Like he's written down the lines he's meant to say when he goes to the bank to get them to unlock his account. There was some third party woman in country Queensland, you know, he's written down, I'm meant to go and say, I know this person, she's a friend. I'm doing this of my own free will, all this coaching. And so at the end of March, they locked his account, but then I still don't know quite how it happened. But through that interaction with the bank, somehow he's kind of reactivated his account. And then after that, in the first two weeks of April, they just cleaned him out. You know, it's $460,000. It was all his life savings, basically. So this is everything. They've come through, tested it, the waters, and then just gone full bore and, and taken everything from him. Yeah. Did he feel that the money was going to help people? I mean, what was his understanding of why he kept having to transfer money? This is really hard because his declining kind of mental faculties. And then this is so confusing for him. Like I just think completely disorienting. So he had a number of different things online in that, as I said, there was that interaction where he thought he was getting some grants and he'd written that down. He also thought that he had some Bitcoin investment. Some of it he thought it was a, he gives them money and then they give it back and he gets more back or something like that. But I never really got a straight answer about what he thought was going on. Fair enough. So $460,000 disappears. 
How did you go about resolving that? Clearly the bank, they were aware something was going on, but then they kind of bought his explanations that were there. The accounts reactivated, the accounts emptied. Where do you go once you realize that you have to address this and make a decision about how to move forward with this and get it to stop and try to you know, chase that money down? So obviously called the bank, you know, I was very upset and talked with them and they sort of said two things. One was to report it to the police. So I did that. I have a friend who's a detective. I called him and said, do you have any advice? What can I do? And I was pretty bleak from him. He said, like, basically, once the money's offshore, we can't do anything. You're not going to get it back. But I, I did go down to the local police station. We fed our report, that sort of thing. But I guess the police prosecute the people who are doing the crime, but they don't deal with the money side of it. So it's the bank who is kind of responsible for recouping that money. So I spoke to the scam, the fraud team for ANZ, and we began a, a long series of phone calls, basically, where, you know, trying to provide evidence of what's happened, try and get that narrative. Obviously, they can see his accounts. I was trying to find out what happened, why his bank account was unlocked. Because when I found out that it had been locked, and this was through interaction with the bank, that the Digital Falcon, that's their fraud kind of software, had activated, locked his account, and then it had been unlocked. You know, for me, that was a, okay, he has to have done something. There has to have been some interaction between him and the bank for that to have happened. Now, I never really got to the bottom of what that was. Like I had to make formal complaint to the bank. I asked them for a recording of phone calls from that time so that I could hear what happened. And there's a whole process to go through that. Obviously, there's privacy issues, things like that. When I'd gone to see the bank where I'd found all of this was when I was filling out the papers for power of attorney. So I'd done the legal side of it, but I had to activate that with the bank. So once I'd done that, that gave me a lot more access to be able to say, I'm acting on my father's behalf. And so it was this back and forward. And they basically said, look, you'll hear from us within three months. Were they initially denying responsibility? I mean, we hear this from a lot of victims that the banks basically will say, we can't help you. Sorry about that. I mean, did you get a bit of stonewalling from them initially or were they more receptive? You know, they said, look, we're going to try and track down the money. We'll see whether we can get it back for you. This takes a while. They kind of didn't give much information. You know, there wasn't initially any acknowledgement of responsibility there. And I realize this is quite tricky because how do you deal with people's agency and respecting their autonomy and their decision making, but also recognizing when people are vulnerable and also when particularly if they're getting something like dementia. And then whose is the responsibility for doing that? You know, Because on one level, the bank is not there to look after my dad. They're there to look after his money and respect him as a customer. You know, It's more my responsibility as a family member to do all that. I was kind of going, oh, no, 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 no. You still know for me, it was that key question of how has this been unlocked? Like, sure, the scam that's come in, the bank's got the software, it's locked down his account. That was only about, you know, 10, 20 grand, still horrible, but it's not like half a million. In relative terms, not that much. Like it's still significant, but you know, they've just tested the waters. I can't even remember what it was. Anyway, I hadn't heard anything. I thought that's it. Like he's not getting anything back. We're just going to have to work out what life's going to look like now. I would call them every couple of weeks just to see what was happening. But anyway, then at the end, I got a phone call and they said, look, 
we recognize that your dad has been a victim of scams before. We've known that he's a vulnerable person and we didn't do as much as we could to protect him. And so we're going to refund all the money, which I was not expecting that at all. I was obviously very happy, very grateful. So you had reconciled yourself that the money was gone and then they just turned up one day and said, oh, here you go. You know, we've decided that we could have done better in this case. Yes, that's right. And I think because he had been the victim of some smaller scams in the past, some of which I hadn't known about. And so obviously the bank, you know, they've got his records, all that sort of stuff. I was very grateful for that. Really interesting now when you're waiting on hold, they're talking about cybercrime, scams, all that sort of stuff. And they say, we will never ask you to install remote access software on your phone. And they name any desk as one of the software that they will not ask you to put on your phone. <laughs> Have they put that in because of this case? That's a good question to ask, and it's entirely possible that that's what's happened. Did you ever find out how that got installed? I mean, did they say, uh, give him a whole list of instructions to install any desk and set it up for access and all this? No, that's right. So he would have been coached through that on his phone. And when we deleted it, they did that again. I mean, what I ended up having to do for dad, I had to delete all his social media. So remove his presence there, get access to his email accounts so that I can monitor those. We got a new phone and we got a new number because, you know, you'd block things, whatever else. It was just coming. So we did that. And it's still a smartphone because we live a long way away, want to do video calls with him, but we're not doing that via WhatsApp. We're not doing that via Facebook Messenger. We've got a different program so that it's much more secure and he doesn't have people being able to access via those avenues. That's so important just to be able to understand what his exposure is and to be able to manage that a bit better than clearly he was doing on his own. It's one of those things where he's been able to do this in the past, but he's actually declining. So what are the ways that you can kind of protect him there? What are those places of exposure and understanding his capacity so that, yeah, he's still able to be dependent and all that sort of stuff, but he's also safe. All of these things are so important. Has the bank been in touch, you know, with follow-up after sending the money back? Have they talked about, you know, policies that they put in place or ways that they can continue, as you said, to manage sort of vulnerable people that might be more likely to be taken advantage of in this way? No, they haven't. And I mean, I suppose there's no obligation on their part to speak to me about that. I think there's more of a, you know, there's the regulator, there's the government, there's that sort of thing. And obviously there's been a lot more reporting about this and through over the last year or so, I've been reading a lot more around this and just seeing that actually there seems to be a really significant uptick in cyber crime and fraud and things like that. You know, they've been good kind of going forward from here. I discovered a few months ago that his credit card had been compromised from an email. And so, you know, I ring up and I put a stop on his credit card and that was all fine. They refunded transactions that had gone out. But, you know, for me, I've got to check his email every day or so, check his credit card transactions. I mean, we kind of do that for ourselves. When you're looking at your credit card, you don't just wait till the statement. I would encourage people to be looking at their credit card account pretty regularly and just looking at what's going in and out so that you know what you're spending, but also you can then go, ah, oh, that's a bit of a weird transaction. 
And you can set up alerts on your phone so that you get notified when a transaction goes through. There are tools out there, definitely, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I'm trying to do that for him. And I guess with that, there's a foundation of trust. You know, you've got to have that relationship. And that was what was kind of distressing for me as well with some of the conversations was I was like, Dad, these people are scamming you. Why are you trusting them? And not me, you know, <laughs> like you don't even know these people. They're just out to harm you. You know, it's been difficult in that sense, but we're getting there. I can imagine. Well, it sounds like it was in his character to want to help people. Yeah, he's trusting, he's a generous guy. And I think for older folk as well, actually, you know, all of us are dependent upon others in various ways. But as you get older, it becomes more so. It's much clearer. And you just have to trust people. You can't live otherwise. Like, and so, you know, we have a sense of respecting older people and caring for them and they need that. And I think all of that kind of healthy relationship can then lead people to being more vulnerable for bad actors, people who are out just to steal money from people. Definitely there. And as you said, we do need to look after the elderly people in our lives and, and really try and help. And in this day and age, that includes information literacy scam literacy, all these things that maybe weren't an issue 10, 20 years ago, really weren't as big an issue. Yeah, that's right. Like back in the day, you could get your Nigerian prince email and that was it. And you know, people are lonely, they're isolated, all those different sorts of things. And you get a message from somebody who wants to, you know, have some sort of contact. Does your dad remember all of this happening? I mean, do you have conversations about it? And he says, oh, you know, I still can't believe that happened. Is it a present thing in your relationship with him? I think he kind of does know, but he doesn't talk about it. And, you know, his dementia has progressed over the last 12 months. I sort of feel like he knows it in the back of his mind and his body knows it, but it's not so accessible in his kind of short-term memory to be able to bring it out. But I kind of see it in different behavior patterns when something comes up, which may be connected, he becomes a bit more agitated. So he must have a nagging feeling that this has happened and such. As you say, it must be in there somewhere. I think so. He was quite, I guess, emotionally switched off around this. And maybe that was a self-protection mechanism. I don't know. But like, I'm kind of boiling over. I guess for me, with this, there's the fraud, there's the crime aspect, but then there's also, okay, how can I look after my father as he declines and trying to notice and do all that? It was playing out on so many levels at once for you. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, we wish you all the best. I really thank you for taking the time to share your story and your dad's story with this. It's clearly a horrible thing that's happened. And thank goodness that the bank saw sense and was able to come back and make it good and restore that because there's enough going on for you guys without having to worry about the loss of that much money as well. Yeah, I'm very, very thankful for that. And for your listeners, I hope that this story, some of the things that we've gone through and what I've been able to learn has been helpful for people as well, caring for vulnerable relatives, family, and friends as well. As a Christian, we're called to love our neighbors. And I think having those conversations early, you know, I'm so thankful that I set up the power of attorney and my parents got onto that actually, so that when the time came, we could activate that. It's all those different levels so that you can then be able to step in and step up as you need to as people's capacities decline. 
For WCYB Digital Radio, this is David Browie. I've been speaking with Victor Shaw.